When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. On ECN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. Funny happening this morning. Very good morning to you. It is the captain's run with myself through until 12 o'clock this afternoon. Really looking forward to chatting to you. All things sport, the Australian Open is hotting up. Plenty of action. Nick Kyrgios in action tonight. Looking forward to that and discussing that with you after I've been pretty harsh and pretty critical of Nick for the last couple of weeks on this show. I'm sure a lot of you will send some feedback through on the back of his performance. one 736 736 The Saints have just announced some new skippers or one new skipper. They just have released a statement. Jack Steele will join Jaron Geary as co-captain of the St Kilda Football Club in 2021. Interesting. I didn't think Jaron Geary would get another go, another year at that. Perhaps it's a sign that they don't think Jack Steele is quite ready to captain the club in his own right, and they will ease him into that. But also, interestingly as well, there's a couple of new vice-captains down at the Saints. Dougal Howard, is he? what's it been? One year on the Saints list already has won everyone over there. He's going to be the vice-captain, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Um, what a recruit he has been for them. And Tim Membry also vice-captain at the Saints. I probably didn't see that one coming either. Seb Ross, Jack Billings, Callum Wilkie are part of the seven-man leadership group. So, Saints fans, you can have your say on your new skipper. He's going to co-captain with the former skipper, Jaron Geary. Get involved and have your say on that. Plenty we need to get through this morning. We're going to play over and under, which we're enjoying. The quiz is back, of course, Mean tweets, perhaps, and heaps of guests star-started lineup coming your way this morning. As we always do, let's get the show underway with this. Oh, what have I got this morning? Well, it was a week that was dominated by Eddie Maguire and the Collingwood Football Club. His shock decision to stand down from the presidency at 4.15 on Monday will be hard to top as the biggest footy story of 2020. The following day, the coverage, as you can imagine, was extensive. Melbourne's biggest paper, the Herald Sun, plastered Maguire's image on the front and back pages, as well as seven dedicated pages inside. Everyone with a pen, a podcast and a Twitter account has shared their opinion on one of footy's most polarising figures. So, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to bore you with my opinion on it that has been done to death. However, what I am fascinated by is what happens next for Eddie. Where to now? He spoke on Monday of taking some time off. The indulgence of my media partners, I'm going to take a break for a little while to regroup and heal. So that's it. The club can build 
to a new future with an enormously strong base. The implementation of the Do Better report will make us indeed better. Our finances and plans are well underway. And with a bit of luck, we might have some silverware in the cupboard by the end of the year. To my old mate Joffa Korf and my beloved Magpie Army, I'm with you all, side by side, black and white forever. Good luck to all. Floriot Pika, may the Magpie flourish and go pies. So there you go. That was him revealing that he's just taking some time off. For almost 22 years, he has juggled the prolific media career with the presidency of one of the AFL's most powerful clubs. And whenever he dared speak about issues arising at other clubs, with players from other teams, or on significant issues facing the game, he was always seen as being conflicted. Only last year on Footy Classified, he was accused of double standards after demanding answers from Geelong and the stabbing of one of its players, Jack Stephen, yet treading very carefully around the misbehaviour of his own Collingwood vice-captain, Steel Sidebottom. Monday's announcement means he can no longer be accused of being conflicted. Maguire, for the first time in 22 years, is a businessman and a media personality only. He doesn't have to worry about upsetting players, supporters, sponsors, members of Collingwood, and he's definitely not answerable to his board anymore. That makes him the hottest AFL media ticket in this country, and he would have several big names who have grinded away for years to get him sacked firmly within his crosshairs. Whilst Maguire's been non-committal on his media duties this year, Channel 9 is very confident he's going to fulfil his role as host of Footy Classified on Wednesday nights. Never has a term must-watch been more apt. No one could blame him for taking some weeks or perhaps months off and going underground a little bit. But one thing is for sure, though, we have not seen or heard the last of Eddie. And when he returns, I suspect he's going to return with a bang. Give me a call. Will it be Eddie who has the last laugh on all of this? And who will be his main targets? For he is conflicted no more. one 736 736 Or you can send me a temper text 0433 Have we seen the last of Eddie Maguire every time he opened his mouth in his breakfast media roles, in his television roles, Fox Footy, Channel 9, the criticism came straight away. Well, he's conflicted. How can he speak about this? Now, he's not the first person that's been conflicted. In fact, most people are. But now he's not. He can no longer ever be accused of that. I reckon he's... Well, you can tell, I think, that he's... Um, not happy with the treatment that he has received and the vitriol, to use his words, that has come his way on the back of everything that he has said recently, well, that can't happen anymore. And if he's speaking on TV this year, I am certainly going to be watching. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 St Kilda have just announced a new skipper. Jaron Geary is going to still captain the side with Jack Steele, a couple of new vice-captains as well. Saints fans... Get on the phone and tell me your thoughts about that. I also want to speak about the Saints shortly because I read during the week that uh, the St Kilda players have agreed to take some pay cuts to ease the salary cap squeeze. Some alarm bells just went off in my mind about that. We'll get to that very, very shortly. But right now, let's get to your calls. Get involved. It is your show. The lines are open and available. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Paul's on the line. He wants to speak about the biggest story of the week. That is Eddie Maguire. What's your take on it, Paul? Welcome. 
I'm a Collingwood man, Kano, so um, I had a lot of admiration for our beloved president. Yes, at times has, has got it wrong, um, and that's fine. We, we learn and live with our mistakes. However, the way you opened the show, I think that's it, mate. I think Eddie's going to get the last laugh. And if I was Caroline Wilson, I'd be shaking in my shoes. I think um, that's going to be very interesting on your, uh, your show on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I think there's a few, Paul. I reckon, um, well, Cara will be there, but she's always been there and um, she can she can fight back. So she'll be on the show with him. So, you know, at least she'll have the opportunity to debate and argue and do what has made Footy Classified the successful show that it's been for such a long period of time. So she she's definitely won, but she'll fight back, as we know that Caroline Wilson can do. I, I reckon... The number one target um, w- w- would be Mark Robinson. I think I think Robbo, chief footy writer at the Herald Sun, has gone as hard at Eddie as anyone, and you know I respect that because not a lot of people have taken on Eddie over the journey. But with that, um, you put yourself in the crosshairs, and you want to make sure that you're doing everything right. So I'm sure Eddie will remind Robbo of that. I think he's probably number two, and then. I'm not sure the feeling with with Mick Warner, but his his journalism was probably the catalyst that forced this this decision. After he was able to get the report and leaked it to the Herald Sun, what was that about a week ago? So, not sure he'd be wrapped with that. But it's going to be must watch, and I think Eddie is going to come back and come back with an absolute bang. And I think we'll all be watching and waiting to see how he handles it. Marty is on the line. He wants to speak about that. Also, welcome to you, Marty. Hey, how you going, mate? Good, buddy. Going, yeah, going down the same path, I uh, feel like Caroline's probably safe, semi-safe, because they've got to work together. So, you know, Eddie's a teammate player. He'll kick her in the ass once or twice, make her stand on her toes, but I don't think he'll go too hard at it. But Robbo or Barrett or guys, all these guys, don't worry, mate, he'll have 10-12 on the list over the next year or two. He'll throw some real dirt and some real anger at it. So, absolutely no doubt he'll want to embarrass a few people, mate, and bring them down and peck it yeah, um, good on you. Appreciate your call. I think I agree with you, and it's going to be fascinating to see. What, what's the movie? Is it, there's an Adam Sandler movie. It might have been maybe Billy Madison, where they ring up the kid that they bullied at school, and he says sorry for the treatment that he gave him at school, and then as the phone hangs up, he crosses Adam Sandler off his list as the people that he was going to, um, I think it was going to murder in a sort of fun way. It's a, it's a, it's a comedy, but it sort of reminds me a little bit about that. Um, in a fun kind of way. If you've seen that movie, was it Billy Madison? 0433 98 11 16. Uh, Tony's in Craigieburn. What's your thoughts on Eddie Tone? Oh, g'day, mate. Look, first off, that's this is a very good, good topic. I'm sure it's going to um, start some debate. Um, I've got a bit of a list. Um, Caro will be number one on that list. I think she's um, numerous times. Even, even your SEM promo um, goes a little bit over the top with uh, Caro and her buddy on the podcast, you that drives me insane that ad, but um, if you could probably highlight that one. Um, next one would be Andrew Marr on the evening afternoon SEM show as well. He had a bit of a pot shot at um, Eddie on, um, you know, when all this was happening, that Eddie's not the victim. Um, Harry Lubumba's the, or whatever he calls himself these days, is the victim. Um, and I was a little bit appalled with Harry. Can I say how angry I am with Harry as well? I mean, uh, the guy's just resigned, and the best that he can come up with, he's still not satisfied. A question for you, Kane. Will Harry ever be satisfied with anything? 
Uh, Tony, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Harry, I, I, I tagged him in a, in a game of footy one day and he was it was a really interesting character in the fact that not, not often you get players that just chat to you very uh very almost very friendly as i was playing on him one game I, I walked up to him and he said oh you're gonna you're gonna play on me are you today okay you're gonna tag me he goes i hope you got your running shoes on. i'm gonna run you into the ground halfway through the third quarter he's cramping up and going off to get a massage i said harry i've still got these running shoes on and um it, it was it was hilarious like he was a he was a genuine character apart from that i do not know him one bit but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure whether he's ever going to be satisfied. I can't speak on his behalf. But, Tone, thanks for your contribution to the show. Anthony's in queue. Eddie Maguire, Anthony, um, how have you seen it and what's next for him? Well, Kane, get your callers to back off on Caro. Caro hasn't done anything wrong at all. Neither's Mick Warner, neither's Mark Robinson. Surely that Eddie's target is the person that's leaked the report. Secondly, to your masters are classified, why hasn't it been on Kane? Classified should have been on on Monday night. We should have been. We should have already had like four episodes of Classified. <laughs> Classified's not about X's yeah. and O's of the footy, Kane. I don't care about what happened at full forward and full back. Classified's yeah. all about the politics, and that's what should have been on. Mm, yeah, we've. I mean, we can't say it hasn't been spoken about. I guess you know programming, and I mean, right now the tennis is on. It's on all what, four of the, three or four of the Channel 9 um, shows, and I think more people probably watch the tennis than they would classified out of footy season, but you're right. I mean, when the trade stuff happened with Collingwood, we're like, oh, we almost need an emergency footy classified show to discuss what's happened in the trade period. Now, this is times 10 of that, so if you're looking at storylines this year, regardless of what happened, Collingwood's going to be shows guarantee that. I don't think anyone's been harsh on Caro and Robbo and Mick. I, I think we're just saying who would be the targets for Eddie, if if that's the way he goes. I, I, I don't know, but I'm suspecting that there's a, a fair few axes to grind with Eddie and he will have um, a, an uninterrupted passage to be able to um, get those targets, I guess, this year. We'll wait and see and it'll be fascinating to watch what is next. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll take Another call on this. Pete wants to have his say. What's your thoughts, Pete? I do, Kane. Uh, last call is my thunder a bit. Don't worry about any of the journalists. Eddie's going to be using all of his old tricks, and he won't have to be above board as what he had previously, but he's going to find out who leaked this document. And uh, look out. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, look out. If uh, if he does find that out, I'm not, I'm not sure how it's possible that he will. Um, find out the journalists the good ones and mick warner is a very good one um, pretty protective or very protective of their sources get involved and have your say lots of temper texts coming through as well when eddie mcguire returns to his media spots is he the most number one afl media personality this year i believe he is and when he's on a show i'll be watching one 736 736 so the saints have just announced their new skippers jaron geary and jack Steele. geary's not new of course i think it's his fifth year he's going to lead the saints first time alongside um a teammate jack Steele. it's it's interesting i i thought you would change the captain for a reason it is uh, relatively rare to have someone as captain for a relatively longish period of time and then go with co-captain so somewhat surprising look is it going to be the difference of finals or not probably not but i was interested in this um the story that the st kilda players were surveyed with options before agreeing to a full uh, playing list cut 
of 7% as they try and manage their salary cap changes for 2021. This interested me, and this is what I would be concerned about. Um, the Saints don't expect it to impinge on their active approach in the trade and free agency period. This is according to an article on AFL.com. But after recruiting Dan Hanabry, Brad Hill and recently Brad Crouch on multi-million dollar long-term deals, I'm concerned that their salary cap is already bulging. Otherwise, why are they asking their players to take a pay cut? That is that is not the done thing. Um, and I understand COVID and all that. And there was an industry-wide 3.5% pay cut. Yep, good on you. It is common for individual players to back-end some contracts and the club might say, look, we're just struggling with our salary cap now, so let's get four or five big names. Let's push uh, 200 grand each to back a couple of years to help ease with the pressure now. But this is a full list-wide pay cut. Now, it's not as if the Saints are Richmond, where they've won three out of the last four and they need to pay all of these stars and they're struggling to fit them all in. This is St Kilda. They... They finished sixth last year. This isn't a powerhouse club. So I did have my concerns when I read that story about the Saints. Why are they asking their players across the board to take a 7% pay cut? They must be struggling. And I hope what happened to Collingwood uh, at the end of last year during the trade period where they just had to kick everyone out because of their pressure doesn't happen to the Saints on the back of some recruiting um, um, players that they've got in Dugo Howard, big money, long-term. Uh, a lot of other players have got to pay. Jack Steele they've just paid. So have the Saints maybe mismanaged their salary cap? Perhaps that was the first sign. I don't know. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 I think we've got Johnny in Adelaide who wants to have his say on Eddie Maguire. G'day to you, John. Okay. You came on a bit disappointed in the media, but after that, press release from Eddie McGuire next thing guys are asking and you guys as well asking where's Nathan Buckley going to come out but he's got nothing to answer about that I just can't think? believe no no he's just the employee of the club and his job is is about the football he's not about running the club and and all that I just couldn't believe you guys are asking when's when's Nathan Buckley going to come out and speak Thanks, Johnny. That was me who uh, who said that. I'm just surprised we haven't heard much from Bucks at all. I mean, for the second most high-profile figure at that club, walked through the doors in 1994, has seen more than anyone of what's gone on inside the change rooms, has been very critical of other leaders like Scott Morrison during the bushfires and um, has responded to a number of journalists on Twitter when something is inaccurate. I don't think, and I'm happy to be... Uh, corrected. I don't think we've heard from him via a, a media conference at the club, via other media roles that he plays, and he's pretty active in the media. I would like to hear uh, Nathan Buckley's side of things. That's my point, and he's been pretty quiet on it. We'll take a quick breather. We'll get to Errol on the other side of this. She's got a different take on Eddie Maguire. Also, Stu's in Handoff, taking your calls right through until 12 o'clock this afternoon. Lines available. The number's one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 This is uh, Billy Madison. You probably don't remember me, but I, I went to high school with you. Um, I, I kind of gave you a hard time back then, and I did some things that I thought were funny at the time, but now I realize they were just mean and, and stupid, and I uh, just wanted to apologize, and I hope you forgive me. That's it. Billy Madison. It reminds me of what's happening with Eddie Maguire when he returns, and he's probably got four, five, six, seven media personalities in his crosshairs. 
that's the way it might go down. And a few texts coming through, 0433981116. Kane, you'll certainly be in Pickers' votes on Off the Bench tomorrow for your Harry O'Brien story. I want to be in Pickers' votes because I walked upside next to Harry O'Brien at the start of the game and he said, oh, you're tagging me today. You better get your running shoes on. Halfway through the third quarter, he's off the ground cramping. Harry, get your running shoes on. Let's go to Errol, who's on the line, wants to speak about Eddie Maguire. G'day to you, Errol. Hi, Kane. Uh, you started the discussion this morning on Eddie with the assumption that Eddie's a vindictive person and he'll be out for blood. I don't know whether we know that he is. Do we, really? It, it may be right. You did then say if that's the way he chooses to go. Yeah. But I think there was a bit of an imbalance. We were. It was all... Uh, I think hyping us up, so not good. Can I make a comment on Jodie Sizer too, please? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I watched the press conference and she's had a lot of kudos. Yeah, she was terrific. But I took exception to her suggesting that Collingwood was the yardstick and other, the, the inference was that other clubs uh, have got the same problem but, and Collingwood was the only one that's, you know, fronted up and admitted to it. And I thought that wasn't very classy to try and defect away from that by casting dispersions on other clubs. But, yep. Good, good, on, so, good on you, good on you, Errol. I think it's a wake-up call for a lot of clubs, and I think you know, if you're completely honest, at all, well, most of the clubs would think, well, how would we fare if we ran this uh, independent review? How would we come? I think that most clubs would at least be asking themselves uh, that. Stu's been patient in Harndorf. Good morning to you, Stu. Hello, how are you, mate? Good, buddy. Hey, I'm fascinated by this St Kilda situation. I, I just want to put this to you and just get your thoughts on it. Clubs are run as corporate entities these days. The financial controlling within those corporations is as strong as it's ever been. Financial planning and analysis, forecasting, budgeting, much like you get in any large listed business. They had to know. They had to know that this was going to happen. It's not a reaction to something that's been discovered. They would have had to have known they were going to be in this position and they would have forecasted and planned that they would have needed to have asked the playing group to take a cut, which they're going to do. How would you feel as a player knowing that and understanding retrospectively that this was the plan? And worse yet, how would you feel as a player like Brad Crouch or Hanbury or whomever who's come in on big bucks only for that to be stripped away? Mm. Stu, it's, I, I want to ask the St Kilda fans, so this is in relation to the story that was on afl.com.au during the week that the St Kilda players collectively have taken a 7% pay cut. This isn't a powerhouse club. This is not Richmond. This is not Hawthorne. This is not Geelong. This is St Kilda. We'll get your thoughts on that soon. Good on you, Gibbsy. That was the latest in the news, and stay tuned right throughout the morning. Um, Dan Andrews will speak at some stage. We'll be all over that via Meredith with the news for you. As well, it's another concerning situation, isn't it? Unfortunately, but we're here to talk about sport, and there's plenty of sport on the agenda. I, I just mentioned, and um, my ears and eyes pricked up when I read that the St Kilda players had taken a seven percent pay cut collectively. Couldn't, couldn't really believe it, how the Saints have got themselves into a salary cap mess already. I mean, they finished, what, six last year. They, they won one final, but then were smashed in the semi-final. It's not as if they have won three out of the last four premierships like Richmond have done. And it, it does give you some admiration for those powerhouse clubs like, you know, the Hawks back in the day, Geelong, um, and... 
more recently Richmond of how they have managed their salary cap without having to ask anyone to take a pay cut. So we had Stu on the line. He says, well, how would the players feel about that? You'd be pretty upset, wouldn't you? I would have thought. But um, we'll wait and see what the ramifications are of that. I would hate to see a Collingwood situation arise like it has um, at St Kilda at the end of this year where you basically have to kick out players with long-term deals for next to nothing because of salary cap pressure. The other news out of the Saints this morning, if you're just joining us, is that Jack Steele will join Jaron Geary as co-captain of the St Kilda Football Club in 2021. Saints fans, you can have your say about that. Nick Curios will play tonight. Um, yeah, we'll wait and see how he goes. Playing a very, very good opponent, so it'll be a significant test for him up against um, Dominic Team. He's on the backcourt, so he's on John Kane Arena, which he loves. And Novak has been given Rod Laver around the main court. Have I want to speak to anyone who got themselves a ticket to John Kane Arena today? And you're going to see Naomi Osaka, who's Grand Slam champion, absolute superstar, the biggest name in women's tennis at the moment. And you're going to see the match of the tournament so far, Kyrgios and Dominic Team. Did you expect to see that? Have you got that ticket in your hand? One three hundred seven three six seven three six. But the second part to that is, did you did you buy a ticket to Rod Laver Arena thinking you were going to see Kyrgios? Because there's been some controversy and concern about the scheduling of that. I wasn't surprised. Kyrgios loves playing on that back court. He performs exceptionally well on that, and I think the Aussie should be given an advantage at his home tournament. He should almost be able to dictate where he wants to play. But I do feel for the fan who probably expected to see him on centre court. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. And whilst we're on tennis, so I'm 38 and I learnt something new and I'm going to out myself as being an absolute fool here this morning. Um, I was made to look foolish. So Curios' second round match, remember he had that controversy with the, with the net and the let courts that kept, uh, I just said it, uh, the lets that kept kept happening and the little sensor kept going off and he was losing his mind and rightly so he had a, he had a good point. So I was reading about this the next day and it said let cord is the call. For 38 years I've been calling it a let court. So I've learned something. I'm, I sound stupid. What have you learnt for the first time that you should have learnt about 25 years ago or late in life you discovered something, a saying, a fact something that you should have known a long time ago. It's a let cord. I've been calling it a let court for 38 years. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to get involved in that. Um, plenty happening on the show as well as we um, get your calls. We'll get to George very, very shortly. Jordan Thompson is going to chat some tennis with us. Sammy Edmonds back with a bang. He's going to have the latest on the Willie Rioli situation out at West Coast. We're going to speak some NBA uh, we perhaps may catch up with um, Australia's biggest basketball star, Josh Giddy, as well. The quiz over and under all coming your way this morning. George, tennis ticket, do you have one? Welcome. Kane had tickets last night for Rob Laver. Thought we were going to see Barty, Gavilova and Tsitsipas Kokonagas. Mm. But, uh, yeah, they put them on during the day, so we got stitched up. What's a ticket cost? To, for a day's play at Rod uh, Oh, not sure about the day session. I think we paid about 80, 90 bucks for the night session last night. So who'd you see? I uh, ended up seeing 
oh, to be honest, I'm not sure about the win. Vitalino, I think it was, and then, yeah, Rafael Nadal at night, which is... Yeah, so... Yeah, Coco Goff lost. Yeah, Coco Goff lost to in a couple of sets, and then Rafa got through. I would much rather watch Nick Kyrgios than I would Novak Djokovic. There's been some talk. Well, he's you know, he's the world number one, but Novak, um, I, I respect him. I know a lot of you guys don't, and he's you know firmly rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way in the last twelve months, but. In terms of a ticket to go and watch a tennis match live, there is no hotter ticket than watching Nick Kyrgios right now. And agree or disagree with the way he uh, acts, if you're going to buy one for Rod Laver, you want to see you want to see Kyrgios. But I can equally understand that he gets to play where he wants to play, and his record on what they call John Kane Arena now is is amazing. So that's where he wants to be. The crowd will go off. Can't wait for that match tonight. Mark's in Canberra. Good day to you, Mark. Morning, Kane. Um, I haven't, haven't heard you this year so far, so um, welcome back. Um, can I just, I just want to make two very quick points. The first is that what the the topic you were talking about um, about something you've just found out. As a cricketer, yeah. I should know this difference, um, but we often refer to the wicket that they're playing on. Uh, you hear the yeah. commentators talking about the wicket that they're playing on. They're actually playing on a pitch. The wickets are the things that stand up at the end. Um, there was that, and the other yep. one was around, around Nick Kyrgios. So I'm from Canberra. He's a hometown boy, but until he starts playing serious tennis and stops treating, treating tennis matches like or tennis tournaments like exhibition matches, um, I can't I can't support him. And, and I'd love to be able to, but it's a, it's a fast. A lot of the stuff that he does is absolutely farcical. Good on you, mate. Appreciate your call. Lots of text coming through on that as well. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's song, song, Dancing in the Dark, I used to sing Little Rowboat in the Bath. The words are actually Little World Falling Apart. I feel like an idiot, says Mike D. And why do you hate St Kilda so much? You always find a reason to belittle them, says Graham. I'm not sure I've belittled the Saints. I'm just asking... Do you think it is surprising that probably, you know, a couple of years into their rebuild and they're all on the right track and play finals, win a final, top up in the trade period, get Prad Crouch in, pay big money for Hanabry and Howard and these players that already they're feeling the salary cap squeeze? I, I find that I find that unbelievable that they could be in that situation. Now I, I'm sure You'll speak to the Saints and James Galley, the list management, and whoever. They'll have a, a reason behind it and they'll be able to um, explain it to us. But is there any explanation for asking every player to take a 7% pay cut? It, it, it does seem a little bit alarming to me is all I'm saying. I'm certainly not belittling them. Uh, Jeremy's in Torquay. G'day to you, Jeremy. Hey, Kane. How you going, mate? Good, buddy. You got me? Uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, actually. I bought uh, tickets for the Rod Lave, and I was expecting to say Kyrgios. And, um, yeah, I was messing about four or five mates, whether it's going to be at John Kane or Rod Laver. Mm. And it took to about five or six o'clock yesterday to announce it. So we had to jump the gun because we didn't want to lose the tickets because we thought it was going to get booked out. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, like yeah, the call. Uh, yeah. So, well, they around. did make they did make it late, so I reckon... It came through, I don't know, it was, was you know, 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon. You, you would have purchased tickets. Tough to get a ticket as well with crowd restrictions and all of that. I can't say I was shocked that they 
put him there, but you would much rather have a ticket to John Kane Arena. So up today, Asaka is playing. She's playing against the 27th seed, whose surname I can't pronounce. I'm sorry. Um, and you're going to see Team and Kurios, which is the hottest ticket for the probably the whole of the tournament, really, other than you know the finals and when it gets really, really deep. On Rod Laver, you are going to see uh, Djokovic take on the American Fritz, who's a good player, and you're also going to see Simona Halep. So, I mean, a couple of world-class players, clearly. So you're still going to get a great day's play, but I'd much rather see Nick Kyrgios than, um, than Novak Djokovic, who is methodical, is a superstar, but is boring. Nick Kyrgios is far from boring. What have you just learnt that you should have learnt years ago? I've been calling it a let court. It's actually... A let cord. I'm sure all of you knew that, except for me. Paul's in sunshine. Uh, just discovered that Sean McKernan is Corey's younger brother. Well, there you have it. Something you should have known a long, long time ago. It's 19 minutes to 10 o'clock. Big, big show coming up. Lines available right now. Great prizes to give away. I'm asking you this morning, will Eddie Maguire return with a bang? Will he be vindictive and will he go after some people who have gone after him for the last 10 to 15 years. one 736 736 is the number if you want to get involved. Yeah, big show still to come this morning through until 12 o'clock. And just a reminder, when anything happens from a government point of view and when Dan Andrews does speak, we'll bring it to you first right here on SEN. But right now we're talking about sport and there's plenty of sport happening. No shortage about that. Corey is on the Gold Coast. You want to speak about something you should have known a long, long time ago. Welcome to you, Corey. Hey, Kane. Yeah, this one's interesting. I saw this on social media the other day. So, you know, your little uh, toilet fragrance thing that you normally put over the, the, the rim and shut your lid on and it, the water runs down and makes your toilet smell all fresh. Well, I actually found out the other day that little plastic arm's meant to go up inside the actual rim and it opens up inside the rim of the bowl where you squirt your other stuff up under and uh, doesn't go over the actual bowl itself. I reckon I saw that on social media as well, and it sort of went viral. Uh, look, I can't say I've put a lot of those in toilets. Usually, for whatever reason, uh, Lucy likes, well, doesn't like to do that, but she, she does that, otherwise it wouldn't get done. But I didn't know that either. So, Corey, I'm with you, mate. Uh, what don't you know that you should have known a long time ago, or what did you just discover as... I discovered it's called a let cord and not a let court after Nick Kyrgios nearly lost his mind at the little robot sensor thing that sits on top of the tennis net and tells the umpire when the ball has gone over that. Anyone who's played tennis, you know when the ball has hit the net when you're serving. Like, is there, is there any time where you've, you've served instantly? You or your opponent know the ball's clipped the net when you're serving. I'm not sure we need a little sensor to tell the umpire that. She's sitting, or he's sitting right on top of the net. She'll hear it. She'll see it. We don't need a sensor. So as harsh as I've been on Nick for some of his outbursts and quitting because he was penalised for taking too long to serve and smashing rackets and hitting balls in the direction of the umpire... I thought he was actually had a reasonable case on that occasion. We'll wait and see how he goes tonight. We've got some over and unders coming up shortly, which is what we've done the last couple of weeks on this show, and there's uh, one that's going to feature Nick Kyrgios, so looking forward to doing that. Jordan Thompson is an Aussie tennis player, of course. We'll get the latest uh, with him. Tanasi Kokonakis, unbelievable last night. He, he was sensational up against Sissi Pass, um, taking him to five sets, so I thought he was... Terrific. We'll get uh, Tomo's thoughts on that. Sam Edmund is going to have a chat to us. He's got the latest on 
the Willie Rioli situation, which yesterday I called one of the biggest travesties in AFL history. 530-odd days since he last played, and he still doesn't know what his punishment is for his Asada indiscretion so long ago on the eve of the season. It is a disgrace. We'll get that with Sam Edmund. We're going to go to Utah and speak about the all-conquering Utah Jazz. They are flying and we're going to uh, perhaps hear from Port Adelaide's Hamish Hartlett as well this morning. But most importantly, it is your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Big story out of the Saints this morning is that they have a new captain. Their star recruit is Brad Crouch. He spoke about um, his initial impressions of his new footy club, St Kilda. The way they've trained, um, they're a pretty fast, ball-moving team, which is a little bit different to the way we played at Adelaide. I think top four, for any team that wants to to win it, you've got to virtually have to be top four. There you go, top four. That's the Saints. Well, they'd want to be. If they've spent all their money in the salary cap, you've you got to be top four. You've got to be winning it. Heaps of temper texts coming through, 0433981116. Kane, when did you discover Sprite was actually lemon-lime and not lemonade? Says Rochi. Uh, in fact, says Steve. I don't know if I've ever discovered that. Sprite is lemonade, isn't it? I don't know. Now I'm all confused. Uh, just got told that the little arrow near the fuel gauge indicates what side the fuel cap is on, said Hugh. That is one of life's great hacks. So if, if you've got a new car or you're driving someone else's car, a car that you don't usually know, and you're pulling up to the petrol station, you want to put petrol in your car, you're like, well, which side is the fuel gauge on? Uh, sorry, not the fuel gauge, the, the fuel compartment or whatever it is where you put the nozzle in. There's a little arrow on the fuel gauge on your dash that tells you what side is on. It's one of great life's great hacks. Uh, I won't be watching Eddie on any show that he's on. Well, you'd be on your own with that one, I reckon. I reckon most of us will be watching Eddie. He's conflicted no more, as I said off the top, and I reckon he's going to come back with an absolute bang. Uh, I think Eddie would be a good politician, although I suspect he may just be happy being in the media and removing himself from positions where he is over-scrutinised. G'day, Kane. Would have been nice to know after all these years that Scott Pendlebury had a basketball background. Yeah, what are the things that are said by commentators far too much? Uh, Mark Blixars was a runner. Yeah, I reckon I reckon we know that Mark Blixars was a runner. I think we know that um, Hugh Greenwood and Scott Penderbury had a basketball background. Overstated things, obvious things. You can also have your say on that as well. One three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number, or send us a temper text for a mattress like no other. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Great prizes to give away. There are lines available. Right now, if you want to get involved, and coming up after 10 o'clock, we're going to have a chat to Jordan Thompson, who's out of the tournament, but he's, a, he's an Australian who every time he's out there gives it his all, like Tanasi Kokonakis did yesterday. We'll get his thoughts on Nick Kyrgios' match tonight and um, how he thinks he go will go. Can he pull one of the upsets of the tournament off? It is nearly seven minutes to 10 o'clock. It is the captain's run. We're with you through until 12 o'clock with plenty happening. We'd love for you to get involved and join in the conversation with us this morning. The number's 1-300-736-736. Before 10 o'clock, very shortly, we'll get the latest news with Meredith Gibbs. Plenty happening. I saw the story yesterday. Amazon Prime Video yesterday announced its commenced production to produce a brand-new Australian Amazon original documentary 
that offers unprecedented access to football and boxing star Taylor Harris. Kick It Like Taylor, it is called. It's going to give Prime members globally an exclusive insight into an incredible athlete. This is them talking, Amazon Prime, um, who balances a successful boxing career alongside playing in the AFL women's competition for Carlton and explores what makes her tick as well as her love of all sports, including boxing and football, the impacts of social media, cyberbullying and sexism. Kick It Like Taylor is a celebration of a once-in-a-generation talent on the rise. Will you watch it? one 736 736 or 433 Amazon have done some unbelievable things recently um, from a whole host of sports, including the test. Loved that. That was, that was terrific. I think this uh, Making Their Mark documentary, which launches on March the 12th, is going to just be sensational from what I've heard. To have a great sporting documentary, it needs a couple of things. So it needs clearly a lot of success. So Taylor, yeah, probably tick. Pretty charismatic and um, big following uh, tick. But it needs some. It needs some controversy, or it needs some as as as, as brutal as that sounds to be a fascinating documentary. It needs a lot of things to make it work. Does Taylor Harris have that, where you would sit down for an hour, hour and a half and watch a documentary like you would the Tiger Woods one, like you would the test, the ups and downs of that, like you would Michael Jordan, um, which was on Netflix? I don't know. I'm not sure this has got it. Let me know. Will you watch the Taylor Harris documentary? Take your calls on the other side of this. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't go to plan for you. You're struggling with your body, mate. You had to retire in the first round of your match, the Aussie Open. What's going on and, and how banged up is the body? Yeah, yeah, body, no good. Let me down. Um, yeah, I got a few issues with the neck. Um, I didn't realise how much you use something until um, mm. until, it, uh, until it's not working. And I was really struggling on serve, even returning and obviously on contact, um, hitting the ball I was grimacing I uh, didn't really want to make contact with the ball I was really hurting but I pushed through but eventually just kept getting worse and yeah, I just couldn't be out there any longer um, so yeah still in Melbourne trying to uh, trying to sort it out Have you got to the bottom of it yet or not? Uh, no not yet hopefully today's the day um, yeah I've tried everything um, so uh, another another visit to the docks and um See if uh, see if they can get it right. Do you think it was a matter of you know everyone's preparation was all at sea? Clearly, was it a matter of just not playing enough tennis with your body, or you're not exactly sure what the issue has been and why it's arisen? Um, I've always had issues with the neck for the last few years now, but um, yeah, the last the last few months, um, yeah, ever since I finished last year's season, I'd, I'd wake up and some days it'd be great and. Some days, some days it'd be um, really struggling. So um, yeah, probably, probably just uh, you know training you know harder and harder as the time comes for the Australian Open, and probably just um, couldn't take it anymore. Hey, talk to me about the the ranking system now and what it looks like. I was just you know, listening to the commentary of Jim Courier last night, and he was speaking about Nick Kyrgios's ranking, and if he chooses not to travel this year and, and stay home, what will happen to his ranking? There was a a thought that almost the ranking system had been suspended. You're, as I Google it, 52 in the world at the moment. When will the usual and normal ranking system kick back in and what does it mean for you? 
Uh, yeah, so it's supposed to, you know, the rankings are essentially frozen. Um, it means your points, um, they can't fall off until uh, maybe mid-March or, you know, deep into March. Um, mm. the, the normal ranking systems will go back into play. So um, you, you can move forward, but you just can't drop points. Um, so Nick... Obviously didn't play last year, but it didn't matter because his his points from 2019 stayed on, um, and yeah, they they will um, start to drop off in March. So obviously he hasn't played in 2020, so he didn't build um, any points. So yeah, if he chooses not to go, um, his ranking will um, you know slowly slowly fall down. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure what he's thinking. Um, the last I heard of what he was thinking was he was. Uh, Getting ready to go go overseas after the AO. Is that your plan to to travel um, extensively, as you always have to do? Is that what you're planning to do this year? Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. As long as the uh, the neck allows it, um, I'll be um, I'll be off in um, early March. We'll get to Nick uh, shortly. He plays tonight. I want to get your thoughts on how you think he'll go up against Dominic Team, the number three in the world. But Kokonakis yesterday was inspirational. You could see how much it had meant to him and what he's been through for the last you know, probably three or four years with his body. Um, he can still play, and it would have given him a lot of confidence last night. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he can match it with the best the best in the world. Uh, since he passed, he's made the semifinals of the Australian Open four. He's been, uh, been in the top 10 for a long time now, and now, Fanasi's he's only just gone down six four in the in the fifth set. Um I saw him after the match, he, he was shattered and his body um his body just got him through that match but he said he was really, really struggling and that, that that's what happens when uh you know you haven't been at the level and you know you haven't been playing um consistently on tour. Bernard Tomic said something um interesting. He says, he says a lot of things, but I I didn't mind what he said. He said there's not that much difference between playing sort of number 60 in the world as opposed to 220. So they're all they're all pretty similar. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He did say, though, once you get to the top 15, 10 in the world, there is a clearly a massive up in intensity. Do you find that? Like if you're playing number 60 in the world as opposed to 220, it's not that different, but you do notice when you come up against someone like Sissipas and the difference in class. Yeah, 100%. Um yeah, you know, there's so much depth in men's tennis. Um, you know, you could be playing a guy ranked 50 or ranked mm. 250, and um, yeah, you, you feel like it's it's nearly the same level. It's just, I'd say the guy ranked 50 is um, more consistent with his results, um, but it certainly doesn't mean that the guy 250 can't play at the same level. He just um, maybe just can't put it together as much or as often. Um, but then when when you make the jump into you know say top 20, top 10. Um, it's noticeable, and you know that's why they're ranked there. It's, it's for a reason. They're not handing out spots in the top twenty. Mm, mm. Jordan Thompson's our guest this morning. It's for Kia Kia's open season on match-winning deals and Australia's best seven-year warranty across the range. Um, so let's get to to Nick Kyrgios because his box office when he's playing, we are all watching, and his his game's big. Like he's he's serving as well as I've seen him serve ever. I think he, does he have the best serve on tour? Do you think? It's funny you say that. We were actually talking about it last night. Um, you know, Tony Roach, who was um, before the Alex Demonar match, was just grabbing a little bit of food, and um, you know, a few of the ex-players, uh, Peter Luchak, Leighton Hill, was up there, and we were discussing who's 
you know, probably got the best serve. And we were, we were talking about if Nick has the most accurate because um, mm. I've played him before. It feels like he can hit a five-set piece and it's mm. always so close to the line. And it's it's not like he's just rolling the men either. I mean, they're over they're over 210 kilometres consistently. Um, yeah, he, he could probably have the best serve, um, you know, we've seen. I mean, it's obviously... There's a lot of good servers out there, but um, yeah, Nick uh, gets him. It gets him through a lot of matches, even if he's not playing well from the back. But he rarely has a, a bad serving day, and if he does, it's maybe because uh, you know his body just doesn't want to do it that day, or sometimes it's got to do with his head as well. But um, tonight it'll be a tough one. Um, you know, get another, another. He's playing another Grand Slam champion, Dominic Team. Um, I think he's three in the world. Uh, Nick hasn't played, um, you know, he hasn't played for so long, and um, playing a top ten is going to be going to be a test. But he can he can he can beat anybody. He's beaten he's beaten the best in the world. He's one of the best in the world. So there's no reason he can't win. So if you were coaching him, would it be uh, keep the points short and and have a real dip? Uh, with that comes mistakes and unforced errors. But what would be the game plan against the, the number three in the world? Yeah, so Dominic team stands a long way back on return. So I mean, if I was if I was coaching Nick, um, I would be trying to keep uh, keep points short. I mean, he's just played a long five set match, um, safe match points. Um, he doesn't play the most physical game, but it still takes it out of you. Um, yeah, I mean, his service games he can race through them. So I mean, if I was if I was coaching him, I would say um, yeah, take more of a bit of a risk on uh, on the return games and try and keep the body fresh. Well, can't wait to watch it tonight. Uh, the other Australian who's just flying, and we probably should talk about him more than we do. I'm sure you guys do it in and amongst your circle, but Alex Demonor's through pretty clinically last night. Um, no fuss, no frills, just just gets it done. Yeah, yeah, he's a fighter. Um, no fuss competitor. Um, <laughs> you know, he he was up six three, six three. Um, then had break points to you know, go up four three and sort of run away with the match, but he ended up going down five three in the third set. And I think he won four games on the trot and just really knuckled down. And um, yeah, I love that. I love that about him. I mean, he can he can be going down, but he loves the same look on his face, same determination. Um, yeah, I just I love the way he goes about it and got through in straight sets, which is huge in in Grand Slam tennis in a Grand Slam tournament. You want to try and you know limit the amount of sets. You play early days. So Ash Barty as well on the on the female side. We you know there was a story during the week that if she was the number one men's player in the world, we'd be giving her more credit and talking about her more. Perhaps it's Ash's humble nature and the way that she goes about it. Not dissimilar to Demon or no no fast no frills, but she's through. She knocked off uh, Dasha Gavrilova in a second set tiebreak yesterday. It's been since the seventies, I reckon. I think I googled it this morning since an Aussie has won. Uh, at the Australian Open, the pressure on Ash. When will she start to feel that? Yeah, I'm not not too sure. I mean, she seems pretty cool, calm, collected. Mm. Um, she just lets her lets her racket do the talking. Um, she knows she's got everything in the bag to win this tournament. She's she won a Grand Slam before, and she's won the French Open. She came within a whisker uh, of winning the Australian Open. I think it was last year. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think she'll just be fine. I mean, Grand Slam tournaments, and just uh, you can go down a set, and it's, she still won't hit the panic button. Um, there's just plenty of tennis to be played. 
And just a, a final one before we let you go. And I know you're busy and we've been loving your work on SEN as well, doing a great job behind the microphone. The, the difference between playing on Rod Laver and, and John Kane, as they now call it for Nick, who will be there tonight. Some people upset that they've you know, purchased a ticket to Rod Laver and won't get to see Nick play. Uh, what is it about that court that Nick loves so much, do you think? I think he's just had some of his best uh, memories out on that court, and I think mm. I think he he feels he plays his best tennis on that court, and you know he's so familiar with the surroundings that um, yeah he probably just wants to be out there. He feels good. Um, yeah, he feels feels like he's in uh, familiar territory. Mate, well, good luck with the neck. It was you are a fighter and you are a grinder, and we love watching you play. Every time you represent your country, you do it with absolutely everything that you've got. I hope you get to the bottom of it, and I hope we we see you a lot on, on tour this year, mate. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jordan Thompson is the number fifty-two tennis player in the world. He's the fourth ranked. 21 minutes past 10 o'clock. If you're listening to us on SENSA in Adelaide, it's nine minutes two. Coming up, Sam Edmund is going to join us very, very shortly. Text coming through. Ask whether you'd watch the new Taylor Harris documentary, which has been commissioned by Amazon. I'll watch an Aaron Phillips one religiously. Taylor is just a social media star and a moderate athlete. Aaron is a superstar on the international level. Get serious, Amazon says David in Preston. Won't be watching the Taylor Harris doco. She is not a star, says uh, Mark. And Hi Kane, all club lists have been cut by 3.5%. That's the salary cap or more. And the Saints and West Coast have both taken 7%. That's been well known over time. Players have taken pay cuts to keep teams together. Why are you just picking on St Kilda? Well, the reason is... West Coast have won a flag. I can understand why West Coast salary cap would be bulging. St Kilda have done nothing, and already they're feeling the pinch of a salary cap issue. It's just, it's not, I'm not having a crack. I'm just saying there are alarm bells when I read stories that across the board, St Kilda, who finished sixth, are already being forced to um, have pressure from their salary cap. I I was surprised by that. We get to our next guest because he's live in the SEN studio. Sam Edmund back with a bang. Sammy, thanks for joining me. Volcano, great to hear your voice again. Absolute pleasure to be on your captain's run. Hope you've been well. I've been well. Can I start with that story uh, from the Saints? It was on afl.com.au, along with West Coast, St Kilda players across the board have taken 7%. Mm. Um, did that surprise you that they could be feeling the salary cap pinch already? Yeah, so clubs are doing it differently, Kane, because it's the AFL has left it for clubs to see how they're going to work through that reduction that you speak about. So the salary cap reduction was actually 9% to 13.1 million, but after list reductions and the like, the average player salary drops to just 3.5%, which you mentioned earlier. So some clubs have, have gone about it in different ways. They've gone for those blanket cuts across the board, like St Kilda and West Coast have done. Other clubs have sought to back end deals, which they admit has been somewhat fraught with danger given the events of Collingwood and players perhaps being reluctant to do what we saw Adam Trelaw do and have it backfire on them years down the track. And then there's other clubs, of course, who are already under the new salary cap figure as luck would have it and haven't had to propose or arrange any new contract rearrangements for the players. So every club's going about it differently. The Saints, for their part, I suppose, it's, it, you're right in the sense they haven't achieved anything, but it has been a massive restructure of their list. Some big contracts in 
in place there when you consider, you know, Dan Hanbury probably broke the ice for them being a, a, a new destination club. Dougal Howard's on a, on a long-term deal. Bradley Hill's certainly on a long-term deal. Um, so they've got some some big fish in the door now. No, they haven't achieved anything on paper, but um, perhaps the bottom line's just feeling the pinch a tad. Mm. So you think the strategy of asking for a, a cut up front will alleviate the stress of you know what happened with Collingwood where their contracts were back-ended, which eventually caught up with them? Well, certainly clubs are looking at that differently now. The old mm. back-ended uh, contracts has taken on a more sinister um, flavour, hasn't it, after the events of the last trade period? And at least, I guess, with cuts across the board, it ensures equality. It ensures fairness uh, across the list so no one can get their nose out of joint that he's been made to take more and I've been made to take less and that isn't fair and, and that can fester. Um, I don't think that's a bad philosophy to do across the board, but Particularly to club like St Kilda, you know, they've got some big fish in, but they're a relatively young group on the rise. They all have the same um, balls in the air. They all have got the same cut mm. that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, I heard you speak yesterday um, on SEN about Willy Rioli, which is just unbelievable. You, you couldn't make this stuff up. What's mm. the latest with the West Coast small forward? Oh, geez, I know you had your strong thoughts on this as well. He's still waiting, Willy Rioli. He's been waiting... <laughs> Since September 12, 2019, we're all the while with the threat of a four-year ban uh, hanging over him. So on Tuesday, August 20, that was the infamous date that he was drug tested by Asada officials. He was found to have produced an adverse analytical finding, Kane, for urine substitution. Look, he soon after tested positive for marijuana, but it's the tampering that's the most serious charge. In fact, Richard Ings, the former Asada boss, says, in fact, it's the most serious violation of the rules, hence why it carries that four-year ban. Now, that's fine, but the delay. So he was finally able to have his case heard in December. What's that, 14 months, 15 months after the fact? He's being represented by David Grace QC, who, of course, represented 32 of the 34 Essendon players in the supplement saga. Rioli got to tell his side of the story finally, and his, his old man, Willie Rioli Sr., said he got, his son got a fair hearing. In that hearing, Kane, Asada would have made their argument over a penalty. We don't know what that is, but the maximum, as I say, is four years for sample tampering. So we expect, they expect, and they've been expecting a long time, but a final decision on this from the AFL anti-doping tribunal by the end of the month but then there's avenues to appeal and all that sort of stuff so he's been provisionally suspended for 16 months any ban will be backdated of course but the people i've spoken to say it's highly unlikely that willie rioli will be able to play again this year he's done it real tough as you can imagine he was training with the eagles but then he returned home for the birth of his second child spent much of his time up in the uh, up in the tiwis where he's starting a fishing charter business with uh with cyril rioli which is uh which might be a nice retirement plan hopefully for him years and years down the track yeah you wonder how anyone can return from two years off i mean we see a lot of players have a, a season off with, with nasty injuries and that they can return it takes some time but some deal with it differently two years is, is a whole different for someone like Willie who struggled uh, to prepare his body in the past mm. as it is. So, I don't know. If he doesn't play this year, um, it's going to be hard for him to get back. But we'll watch this one closely. Unlikely to play this year, says Sam Edmund. A big story in the Herald Sun today, Tasmania threatening the AFL, Sammy. Yeah, indeed. This is the ultimatum that the Goodwin put on the agenda, I think, at the start of the year. That is, unless we get a timeline, a concrete timeline on when we get our own Tasmanian team, then we will not renegotiate with Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Those deals to play games in that state expire, obviously, at the end of this year. It's worth around $8 million a year to each club, so it's certainly not chump change. So this threat's been formalised as we read the letter.
Auckland and the AFL. They spoke on the phone upon receipt of that letter and now Tasmania wait for a response from the AFL. Jeez, it's high stakes now, though, Kane. I think mm. I don't, I don't, we had a chat to um, uh, Brett Godfrey, the uh, task force chairman down there at AFL Tasmania, not too long ago here on uh, Mornings. And, look, he painted a picture of the state of the game at point down there for all the key stakeholders that, look, we've been teased for long enough, and if you don't give us something, uh, some serious and some meaningful meat on the bone, then, look, we're already going down the NBL path. We're talking about an A-League franchise as well, and they think that by 2030 it won't be the, the number one participation sport in Tasmania, which would be, obviously, a Where does it leave uh, the Hawks in particular, and by extension North Melbourne as well? Well, in no man's land at the moment, um, yeah. and, until we until we get an answer, they've been keen to renegotiate. Both teams want to continue playing games in Tasmania, but at the same time, uh, well, North Melbourne's supportive of a standalone team, but I'm not sure if Jeff Kennett thinks it's viable financially, even though that uh, task force report that was handed to the Tasmanian government says they've debunked every myth and have proven that they would be financially viable. So they've just got to wait at the moment, Hawthorne and North Melbourne, and they've got the games obviously contracted to play this year, notwithstanding the fact that uh, in light of COVID-19, nothing's for certain. But this is the final year of that contract, Kane, and then, as we've seen, all bets are off after that. Good on you, mate. Appreciate the update with all things breaking. Look forward to doing it throughout the year with you. Can't wait, Kane. Good on you, mate. Good on you, Sammy. Sammy Edmund, our resident newsbreaker and basically head of sport right here at SEM with all the latest pressing issues um, with Willie Rioli, with Tasmania and also with the St Kilda Football Club. We'll get to Brian, Jock and Tom after the news headline with Meredith Gibbs. Head in now to Chemist Warehouse, the home of sports nutrition. On SEN, the captain's run with Kane Corns. 17 minutes to 11 o'clock right here on your home of sport and the NBA season is in full swing and it is the best separating themselves from the rest. To tell us about that, Ben Anderson is from KSL Sports Utah and the Jazz are absolutely flying. Ben, thank you for joining us this morning over here in Australia. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, your Jazz are flying. Did anyone predict this? Yeah, I don't think anyone quite saw this level of play. This this team looks like the culmination of maybe the absolute best-case scenario. If everything went well, this is how well they could play. But as you follow sports, you know that's just so rarely the case. So, perfect, so rarely do you have that kind of perfect uh, case study of, of everything that could go right, in fact, going right. And, and that's what we've seen so far from the Jazz, and that's why they have the best record in the NBA at 20-5. and five. Yeah, started slowly 4-4. Four and four. They are now, as you said, 20-5. and five. They've won 16 out of their last 17, sit on top of the NBA. So we speak a lot about the Lakers, speak a lot about the Nets with what's happened there. We don't speak a lot about the Jazz. I'm sure you do, but are they getting the recognition that they probably should be getting? No, they're probably not quite yet. There were even some rankings that came out of the best teams in the NBA over the last few days, and the Jazz were ranked as low as sixth. And look, they've had the best record in the NBA for two weeks. They've been on the longest winning streak in the NBA at one point in the season at 11 games. Like you mentioned, they've won 16 and out of 17. So they've been playing at this enormously high level for a long time. And there are fans here in the state of Utah that are frustrated because 
They're not seeing the recognition from the national media here in the States that they would like to be getting because the team is playing as well as the Lakers are. They're playing better than the Brooklyn Nets, who you just mentioned. They really are looking like one of the contenders in the NBA this season, and I think Jazz fans are ready to hear them, uh, themselves involved in that conversation. And Donovan Mitchell is their biggest star. I mean, the reaction to, I guess, Shaq's comments that he, you know, whatever, paraphrasing that he, he isn't in the top echelon of NBA players, has he used that as motivation? And how's him his form been since that awkward interview? Yeah, Shaq tried to use that as motivation. Then again, Shaq seems to have a problem with anybody who's performing well at any given time. <laughs> he seems to be so self-conscious and then worried about what everyone else is doing and not recognizing that he's already appreciated as one of the greatest players in NBA history. So that, that was just awkward. And I don't know if it did anything necessarily to motivate Donovan Mitchell. I, I don't know if he's playing any differently. His statistics certainly don't look much different from before that conversation to after. But it has given the Jazz a little bit of a spotlight. It's put them uh, on notice a little bit for people across the league that, hey, there's there's something going on here, that, that maybe Donovan Mitchell is one of the best players in the NBA in just his fourth season, and, and it's a team that's, that's worth keeping an eye on. So if Shaq did anything, I, I don't think he motivated the Jazz to play better. He did potentially motivate people to keep an eye on them to see whether or not he's telling the truth. Mm. So Rudy Gobert is their other biggest star, and, and stories last year with what went on with the coronavirus and the suspension of the NBA season and the Jazz being involved and the fallout in the locker room from that, it probably could have gone one of two ways. They they seem to be getting along just fine. Was there a moment where Mitchell and Gobert you know, put things behind them, or, or how is the relationship in the locker room? No, it seems good, and obviously with the coronavirus still running pretty rampant here in the States, we haven't been able to go and see how the team interacts in the locker room, so we're seeing how they interact while they're on the floor together, but it looks flawless. It looks as good as it was before there was the outbreak, if not better, just based on the fact that they had this trauma they experienced together. They had this falling out while the two, while all the teams were separated and the players were apart, and now they've kind of refound their way to play together, and they're playing better than they ever have, so I, I do think it's a challenge. Uh, I think it was something they both had to learn from. And if anything, it's probably made Donovan Mitchell more mature. And He's just not the type of player, if you know him, if you've talked to him the way we get to here in the States, uh, that, that's going to hold a grudge. He just does not have that personality. He's just a friendly person. He's a nice person. It didn't make sense that that would be something that he would hold, hold on to for the rest of his career, much less break up the Jazz roster as a result. And Joe Ingles, our boy, um, has been on fire, particularly from downtown. I mean, his three-point shooting has been, well, it's been it's been world-class, clearly. He's playing a big role as well. Yeah, and right now he's actually playing a bigger role because the Jazz traditional starting point guard, Mike Conley, has been out for the last two games with a hamstring injury. So Joe's coming off his best performance uh, on Tuesday night against the Boston Celtics. He had 24 points. It was just absolutely incredible hit some big shots, and yeah, I mean, he's one of only a handful of players right now that's taking uh, more than four three-pointers a game and hitting better than 40%. In fact, he's taking five a game and shooting about 43%, so he's really playing incredible, incredible basketball for the Jazz, and they needed it because last year there were moments, especially in the playoffs, where it looked like, hey, you know, is age finally catching up with him? He's never played fast, but you have to be quick enough to stick with Mm -hmm. other players in the league, and it looked like he was struggling uh, but this year, he's had a resurgence. He's playing great basketball. He's coming off the bench, but he, he's been an absolute key uh, member for the Jazz and one of the reasons why they're playing. So last year, the NBA bubble to finish the season in, in Disneyland, um, we all understood and it went off 
perfectly. There was no dramas with it. It was always going to be challenging this year when you know, travel came into effect and you know, testing. They seem to be handling it well. I mean, there's been some moments where players have tested positive and seem to have threatened the season. We had the drama with Kevin Durant, who started on the bench, came back on and then was removed from the game the other day. And he was unhappy about that. But the NBA seems to be doing a pretty good job. Is that fair? Yeah, I think there was, like you mentioned, there was maybe two or three weeks where it felt like the train was was coming off the tracks and it felt like, uh, we might not get to see the season all the way through. And it just felt like maybe guys weren't paying enough attention or there was just a couple of outbreaks that spread from team to team. And it started to feel a little dicey again. But mm. the NBA has done a nice job in the last two weeks. There's only been one positive test uh, that's come out. And those are things you should be able to contain as long as you can test every day ask the players to stay in their hotel rooms or stay at home when, they, when they're not on the road. It seems like the league has figured out, against all odds, a, w- a way to do this relatively safely, and, and it's been successful. They've had games suspended. Some teams in the second half of the year are going to have to play, you know, maybe three games in three nights, and it's going to be tough. Uh, but, you know, the Jazz are an example of a team who have only missed one game so far this season because an opponent didn't have enough players to put on the floor. So, for the most part, I, I think it's been a glowing success. It's hard. They deserve criticism for trying to do it in this time, but I also understand it's a business and, and they needed to play these games to, to keep the business afloat. Ben Anderson's from KSL Sports in Utah. The Jazz are flying on top of the NBA table. I mean, you'd be you'd be pretty brave to bet against the Lakers and probably the Clippers in that same bracket. Milwaukee in and amongst the conversation, but do you, do you give your guys a significant chance to win it all? Can they? If they keep playing like this, they're, they're a legit contender to win it all because they're just playing as well as you can right now on a basketball floor. They're one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. They're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. It's all clicking. No, playoff basketball is different. It comes to who has the biggest star. But even last year in the playoffs, Donovan Mitchell had two 50-point games and the Jazz were without one of their best players in Boyan Bogdanovich. So if they're healthy, the chemistry they have right now, if they can continue playing at this level, they absolutely should be in the conversation for one of the favorites to win a championship. And before we let you go, what did you make of the Super Bowl and, and Tom Brady's latest accomplishment? Uh, I mean, he's incredible. He's the single greatest team sport athlete I've seen. And, and you know, he's in the conversation there with Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan's career just didn't last as long as what Tom Brady's done. And, and the NFL has changed so dramatically and changes so quickly. You can't stay on top like you can as a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan. In the top of basketball, football just does not allow you to do that here. And, and, and what he's done over the last 20 seasons now is win his seventh uh, Super Bowl ring with a second different franchise, a team that going into the year was expected to be good but shouldn't have been able to beat the Kansas City Chiefs like they did. I mean, it was, it, it was remarkable. He's just simply one of the greatest uh, athletes uh, America's ever produced. Well, Ben, thanks so much for your time, mate. Might have to get you back on before the playoffs. Hopefully the Jazz continue to do what they are doing, but we appreciate it. Love your coverage and appreciate your time this morning. Anytime. Thanks for having me. The Jazz, the Utah Jazz, that is, are absolutely flying. And ben- So there was a moment at the tennis last night where a Karen, as a lot of people are calling her, was kicked out of the tennis. You don't see that often. It's not as if someone's at the footy. During the third quarter when the team's down, they've been standing having a few drinks all day. Understandably get kicked out of the footy. Don't see many patrons get kicked out of the tennis. Well, that's what happened last night. Let's have a listen. A little bit of a disturbance there in the crowd.
So she's strategically waiting. I think she's going to be out of here. There she goes. Maybe a bit. Oh, a bit inebriated, I think. I mean, this is chaos. Well, it's so unnecessary. Yeah. It's just it's just one individual that's just made a complete goose of themselves. <laughs> They're going to need enough security to carry her out. Yeah. Now, there was someone in the crowd. You, you didn't know her, did you? This lady. No, and honestly, I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, very classy, as always, from Rafa. I don't know anyone who doesn't. Love Rafa. Um, this lady did. I think she's since spoken this morning on 3AW to clarify her comments. She said he's boring. The, the fact that pictures of me have gone viral this morning shows how boring he is. She says her daughter wasn't happy, but she just called him out. I told him to get over his OCD rituals, and that's when I flicked him the bird. Courtside Karen rears her ugly head once again. Have you ever seen someone get kicked out of a sporting event? Have you yourself been kicked out? Bit of honesty this morning. Let us know your thoughts. 0433981116. Coming up after the 11 o'clock news, we're going to play over or under. We're going to hear from basketball's biggest young star, Josh Giddy, and also the quiz coming your way. Stick around very shortly. We're going to get to our over and under and an Australian Open theme quiz this morning of Chad's Brothers Quiz. But I'm looking forward to the next guest of the show. Uh, got a great story to tell, and I do love little gold nuggets like this. He's the head punting coach from Pro Kick Australia. Nathan Chapman is a former AFL footballer who played 76 AFL games for Brisbane and Hawthorne between 93 and 2000 before turning his attention to the NFL. Nathan, thanks for joining me, mate. Appreciate it. No, no worries. Good to, good to have a chat. Tell us about uh, your business, Pro Kick. Um, yeah, look, I, I guess it's um, you know we're in the punting world in the in American football, um, and it sort of just all stemmed about by something I tried myself to do, and you know didn't get as far as I wanted to get, and thought there'd be a, a chance to help some other people go across there, and and to be honest, get them educated and and get them to college, get a degree, but also enjoy a great journey along the way of playing uh you know i guess like professional sport which mm. is what college is in america and and see the world so it was a yeah a, a really exciting plan to put forward and and start to get young australian men here interested in it so after your stint uh in the afl it ended in the year 2000 you headed off to the u.s you did have a couple of goes one at the green bay packers and the chicago bears in 2004 what is We've seen the Super Bowl. We've been captivated by it. We've seen Tom Brady. We see the glitz and glamour. But what is it like trying to establish yourself uh, as a kicker in the NFL? Well, I mean, these days, with the sort of pathway we've put together, it's it's different because you've got so much more experience now by going through college and you get an mm. understanding of the, the elite levels that they play at and the expectations. Um, and from a punting point of view, to think that... Um, you know the the consistency they're looking for is uh, it's elite. It's you know eight out of ten balls kicked to the right spot with the right height, the right distance, or you might lose your job. And I, I sort of equate that to, and especially in the professional level, if imagine Buddy Franklin kicked zero goals, four points in a game, didn't have a great one, and imagine that he got cut and never played yeah. again. Yeah. Like, that's what the professional level's like. It's like you do your job, 
and uh, if you don't, we'll get someone else to do it. So yeah. there's, you know, obviously a turnover of talent, but uh, yeah, she's pretty, uh, it's pretty cutthroat. It is brutal. And, and speaking of cutthroat, you, you were cut like most NFL players are. You returned home and you thought, well, what can I do? So you started Pro Kick Australia, which is a 12-month punting program. It is helping the big kicking Aussies make it to college level in America. What's the one thing you're looking for um, with a prospective punter? Well, is it distance? Is it hang time? Is it power? Take us through what you see when you know you've got someone good. Yeah, um, I mean, first and foremost, we try and assess what type of uh, power they've got because I mean, they, they would generally say bigger is better. Mm. Um, but then you still got to work on the consistency. So we would sort of suggest that if you can keep the ball 50 metres from an AFL point of view, then that's probably about um, a really good level to be at to then develop some more tools on top of that. Um, so if you can kick 50 metres, it's then about how high you can kick it over that 50 metres. So we sort of change the trajectory levels of going longer with a spiral and uh, and put the trajectory much higher, but still only kick at 50 metres. So we've got to do some retraining of the muscle memory and the leg swing um, to... You know, to make that consistent. But the, the game, and especially at college, has developed now that we utilise the drop punt uh, probably 70% of the time. So what used to be give us the biggest kick you've got has now turned into some coaches literally want to throw you the ball, you run out five steps and do a drop punt away from the guy trying to catch it, which means that it allows so many more young men to be able to, uh, I guess, do that and, and gives us the opportunity to send them over to get a degree just because they can kick a 45-metre drop punt. So that's and that's handy. different to the American punters. I mean, they, they often go with the spiral as well. Have they started to see what the Aussies are doing and have started to kick drop punts as well? Because I assume it's far more accurate and reliable. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, you know, it sort of came in uh, a number of years ago, one of a, a really elite guy doing it, young Tommy Hackett from Melbourne. Uh, he was a superstar at it. And then it started to really, really formulate through the college level. So the American uh, lads had to start learning how to do it. They've got a different style. They've, they've learned to hold it a little bit different. Uh, I feel like it doesn't quite give them, um, you know, the leverage they need to be able to do certain things with it by the way they hold it. Uh, which is okay for us. It gives us more of a, I guess, an advantage. Um, but they're certainly learning it because if you can't do it, um, your coaches need to be looking for the next next thing that gives them the advantage. So you need to have uh, more tools available to you to be able to kick. So there's, there's, um, yeah, it's certainly handy to have. So you've been running the program um, for the last 14 years, more than 150 graduates. And... It, You've had a lot of success, a lot of Aussies landing college scholarships, which is equated to about $44 million worth of funding and education, and you've had about 10 make it through to the NFL ranks. I mean, who's had the most success out of your program so far? Oh, the most success. Um, depends on the way you look at it, and you know, again, in what is success in terms of, is it games played? Is it... Uh, money made is mm. it the degree they've got is it where they've come from from their starting base to say hey my no one in my family's been to college and now i've got a degree in uh from a university and i played football in front of eighty thousand people each week so i think it's pretty unique the stories that we get along the way um one of the one of the i guess one of the 
beautiful stories that we have is one of the first three players that we sent across to America, whoever came down to one of our training sessions was Jordan Berry. Um, a young skinny kid from Essendon, uh, mm. went to a, a, I guess a, a lower level college in the States as we were starting and trying to get our network with coaches up and about. He went there, he spent five years there, um, had a really nice leg, got an opportunity in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and now he's played six years with um, with the Steelers. Great story. Have you, have you had any current? Yeah, that's like, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. Anyone who lasts that long is 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 amazing, really. Have you had any current or recently retired AFL players reach out with an interest of expressing this? We've seen you know, the likes of Stuart Yu have explored it, and some others. Has anyone hit you up? Uh, yeah, well, we've we've had a couple over the journey. Look, there's generally a fair few people that reach out because there's an interest there. Uh, yeah, but to be honest, we've got to. You're not really going to walk away from a, a paying contract to do it. There is, mm. there is a, I guess, a, a level of they've got to have the understanding of how long it takes, the time of year that they might finish their contract, um, to how much training we need to get them recruited. Mm. Is there, you know, are they going to go back and play uh, country football and, and make some money? So there's a, a fair bit that goes into it. So we sort of set them straight, um, you know, about what the journey might look like. Uh, but uh I won't say there's anyone right yet who's fully engrossed in it that's, you know, put the AFL away and, and says, I'm in. So, yep. uh, but, you know, it, it won't take long for that to get out if it does. Is, do, you, do you still watch AFL closely or is there someone who's playing now that you, you think you would love to get your hands on, whether they've got an interest in it or not? But is it, I don't know, is there a Shannon Hearn type out there who just sends bombs from fullback? You think, geez, I'd love to get my hands on him. Yeah, well, uh, well, there are a few. Oh, we've had some, you know, some messages with Trent McKenzie over the, uh, the oh, course yeah. of the journey. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's got a can, and it'd be so well suited for it. But you still got to, you've got to have digested what the end result is that you want, and and rightly so, they need to put all their efforts into their current, you know, contracts and and where they're at. But you know, he'd be a beautiful kid to have. They love lefties. You know, he'd, he'd be uh, really nice to to spend some real quality time. Yeah, with the training, but uh, maybe when the time's right. But yeah. yeah, I think he just signed a two-year contract extension at Port Adelaide. Great story, uh, yeah. Nathan. Yours. Speaking of great stories, yours is just that. If someone, I don't know, there's some country footballers out there. We've seen with the Foxtel kick on Grand Final day. There's some guys out there that can roost it. They don't have to be from the AFL level. How do they find you, and and where do they get in contact? Yeah, um, ProKickAustralia.com is is our website. Um, Pretty simple with Nathan at Pro Kick Australia. Um, you know, from a from an email point of view, uh, so it's pretty simple. I think if you, you look up the website, you'll find you'll find our details. And literally, it is come down, have a kick. It's really fun, and uh, we sort of give you a really good guide to where you sit and what your what your journey would look like and your pathway. Um, as I said, we're uh, we're about 95% accurate on getting a full scholarship to college for anyone who we invite into the program. So, mm. you know, we won't mess around with, with how we, you know, base our report on whether you can make it or not. Um, and I, the biggest advice I'd have is don't think what your perception is, is what the level needs to be. Let us tell you. And that's just a phone call away and getting off your, getting off the couch and coming down for a kick. Nathan Chapman from Pro Kick Australia. Thanks for your time, mate.
No, I appreciate it. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Who do you reckon would succeed? No worries. Thanks for having me on. Ah, so many accolades coming your way. So much talk and so much hype. But I, I want to go to the Boomers squad because we haven't caught up with you since you've been included in that 24-person squad to head to the Olympics. Of course, that will be trimmed prior to the Olympics. But the thrill of being named amongst, I guess, Australia's best 24 athletes at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it is pretty cool because we, we do have such a, a big pool of depth within um, Australian basketball. So to, to kind of be recognised and, and to be putting that squad alongside, you know, guys like uh, Ben Simmons and Joe Ingles, Paddy Mills, guys like that is um is pretty cool. So, um, you know, whether I make the team or not, it's just it's a big achievement in itself to, to be in the squad. Take us through the timeline of it all. When will you all get together? I actually don't know. We don't know too many details yet because it's just hard right now because there's guys in the NBA and Europe in the NBA and all over the world. So, I mean, it's going to be hard to get everyone together. But, um, yeah, we haven't heard anything as of yet. Joe Engel's clearly a big fan from what we've seen on social media and his tweets directed towards you. What's your relationship like with Joe? Yeah, no, Joe's been good for me. Um, it was He reached out to me about when I signed with Adelaide, so maybe, I don't know, it was maybe close to a year ago, and he kind of just, you know, congratulated me and all that. And then since the season got going, we've kind of built a better relationship, you know, because he's been helping me out. He took a similar path to me in terms of um, coming into the NBL when he was 17, 18 years old. So he kind of knows where I'm at now and um, no, he, he's been great for me I mean he, we talk pretty often and um, no, he's good I mean he does love his Twitter but no he, he's been awesome for me and the coach he is Brian Gorgian he's a big fan of yours has he reached out since uh, the squad has been announced well Gorge uh, called me I think to, to tell me I was in the squad so he gave me a call I think it was 11, or in the, sometime in the morning Just <laughs> I didn't have his number saved so I didn't know who it was and then it was gorgeous. It was, I didn't expect the call. And he just basically told me I've been in the squad and, you know, all that kind of stuff and congratulated me and all that stuff. But I haven't um, spoke to Gorge any further after that. But I'm sure we will be in touch pretty soon. The Aussies are third in the world, which somewhat shocked me. It's, um, it's an unbelievable achievement. So if the Olympics does go ahead, and I'll get your thoughts on whether you think that is possible, do you think a medal, yeah. a medal is realistic? Yeah, 100%. I think this is the team that really wants to win a gold. I mean, they obviously want to win a gold every year, but I think this is the most realistic opportunity that we've had to win a gold medal um, for Australian basketball. I think it's it's a very realistic thing because the talent we have and, and you know, the way the, the, the pride the guys take in wearing the green and gold is, um, is, is pretty cool. So I think this year is really the year that Australia can win a, a medal, uh, if not a gold medal, at, um, at the Olympic Games. And the, the second part is tough to ask an 18-year-old kid about massive world events in the middle of a global pandemic but from what you've been told do you think it'll yeah. go ahead yes i do from what i've heard but i mean it's tough as you said it's middle of the uh, pandemic throughout the world so whether tokyo has it or whether you know that'll go ahead with someone else does but i do think it will go ahead regardless of where it is uh your rankings are plummeting in terms of mock drafts for the nba and things like that and there's a lot yeah. of hype and a lot of talk as you just referenced when will you make a call, do you think, on whether you will nominate for the NBA draft? Um, it's probably going to have to be sometime after the NBL season. I mean, I'll see where I'm at in terms of you know my draft stock and how I've been playing. And I think if I'm ready to leave and I think I'm, I'm good to go to the draft, then I will. But um, if I you know I don't play as, as well as I'm hoping for and I think I need another year to develop in the NBL, then I can do that as well. So it'll um, I'll make that decision at the end of this season. Well, give us a hint. Which way are you leaning? <laughs> well, 
I mean, if I was have to go right now, I'd probably go into the draft. But, uh, yeah. I mean, as I said, there's still so much time left in the season. So um, we'll see what happens. Good move. We, we hope that is the case. Hey, I, I went to a 36ers function prior to, I think it was one of the New Zealand games, and your mum was there. She sits right in the front row. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, a few weeks ago, you nearly smashed your face after doing a, a massive dunk. Your mum sits yeah. right there. Was she there at that game? Might have been against the Phoenix, and her heart would have been in her mouth. Yes, no, that's correct. She was at the game, but she wasn't actually um, courtside that game. She right. was she was up in the stands with some family and friends, so um, they were all there. But no, she wasn't right on the baseline, so she didn't have too close of a view to it. What sort of uh, spectator is she? She seems pretty composed, from what I saw. Yeah, no, she is composed, but you should see Dad on the other hand. He just <laughs> just yelling, and he, he thinks he's a coach when he's in the grandstand because he's so used to being on the sideline coaching. He thinks he's still a coach from up in the grandstands, but <laughs> someone's got to tell him he's not. <laughs> So the 36ers are four and three. Reasonable start to the season. There's been some really good games, some not so. Uh, what's your impression of the start to the year? Yeah, I know. It's been a good start for us. I mean, um, I think coming into the year, many people had us, you know, towards the bottom of the table. And I think we're proving people wrong to start. I don't think I don't think people thought Isaac would be as good as what he has been. He's been a massive, you know, piece for us. So I think four and three is a good start. And we've got two big games coming up this weekend. So... It's only early in the year. We've got so much time left and so many games left. So if we can keep building on this momentum, it's um it's going to help us when we get when we get to the crunch time of the season. Yeah, you've got a nice little combination yourself and, and Isaac going. Uh, disappointing news that Donald Sloan is going. Of course, you replaced him in the starting lineup a, a few weeks back, and clearly we spoke to the coach about that, and Donald wasn't happy, so he's gone. Would have been disappointing, but I guess you, you move on pretty quickly as a sporting team. Yeah, look, it was it was disappointing to see um, Donald go because I had a really good relationship with him. He was, you know, he was a mentor for me. He he'd been in the NBA and I was learning off, and we were working out together before and after practices. So um, I I love playing with him and, and getting to know him and working out with him. So it was sad to see him go, but I mean, it's what's best for him and the club. So I mean, it was a mutual agreement. So um, there was no no hard feelings in him or anything like that. So um, but you know, we've we've got um Jeremy Kendall in now, so we're looking forward to getting to work with him. And on Kendall, can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, well, he didn't. Uh, he got in. Well, I think the other day he he didn't. He came to practice, but he didn't train with us. He kind of just was, you know, getting a feel for it all. But I think he'll be in today and practice with us today. But great guy. Um, he's obviously a vet. He's been around, been around the league for a while. So he, he's going to be a good addition for our team. Hitting the road the first time tomorrow against the Brisbane Bullets, who have been going okay. They're sort of mid-table, a bit early to assess their form. But but what have you made of their yeah. start? And, and pretty important to beat those teams in and around you on the table. Yeah, it is. I mean, as you said, it, it's early to tell, but the league is really competitive and, and there's no games where you can go in thinking, you know, this team's for sure going to beat this team. And I think that's a good thing about this league. Is it is so competitive in, and anything can happen on any given night. So... It's going to be two big games for us. We got Brisbane back to back, so if we can uh, get both those wins, that'll be that'll be huge. But as I said, they are going to be both be tough games, and you can't really go in there with any expectations because, as I said, any anything can happen on any night. You enjoying Adelaide? Loving it, loving it. Yep. And whereabouts are you living? Uh, I'm in Glenelg, so I'm uh, right on the beach here. So it's a nice spot when it's um when it's sunny and, and the weather's nice. Beautiful. Last time we spoke to you, Josh, you didn't have a car, you didn't have a license. Can we have an update on that front? Before the protocols came in with um, the NBL, we were actually not allowed to get Ubers and, and like, taxis and that kind of stuff anymore. Oh, so, um, no, I don't have my license. I've got to get that done soon. So, how are you getting around? Uh, teammates are kind of helping me out and stuff oh, like that. Nice. Very yeah. good, mate. Very good. Well, we have loved watching you develop. I think you've got better pretty much every game that you've played. And 
You are a star of the competition and you are composed and you're humble and we love catching up with you, mate. Good luck on Saturday night against Brisbane and for the rest of the season. No doubt we'll catch up with you um, before the season finishes. Perfect. Thanks, Eves, guys. Now it's time for Chad's Brothers Quiz. 18 holes of golf for two, thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-play course in Melbourne's north for the winner of the quiz this morning. Australian Open theme, Paul is first in line. Good morning to you, Paul. How are you, brother? Very, very well, my friend. Where will the match between Kyrgios and team take place tonight in, in terms of which court will it be on? Oh, it's, uh, it's in his favourite. Um... Oh, I can't even think of what it's called. <laughs> Have a stab? Um, oh, give me a clue, mate. I know the answer. I just can't think I of it, can't, mate. I can't give you a clue. We've got loads of people wanting to come up. It was a simple question. I love you, Paul, but I can't give you any favours. Dino's on the line. Hi, Dean. G'day, Kane. How are you going? Which court will Curios' match be on tonight? John Kane Arena. That is it. Uh, who does Ash Barty play tomorrow? It's a mouthful. Uh, Ash Barty. Um, yeah, um, an Eastern Block lady. Um, give us, can you give us a hint, Kane? I um, can't give of, you a hint, Dino, because I'd be accused of uh, insider trading again. KP is in sunshine. KP? G'day, Chad. mate. Who does Ash Barty play tomorrow? Uh, Alexandrova. Yes, that'll do. I'll give you that one. Uh, what nationality were the two men's players that got into a, a big squabble uh, post yesterday's game? A couple of Italians. What are their names? Um, uh, that's a hard one, mate. I'll take first. I'll take first names or last names only. If either. Three, two, no, nah, KB's gone, sorry. Justin is in Fern Tree Gully. Hello to you, Justin. What nationality were the two players that got into the squabble post game? In fact, I stuffed up the question before, so apologies to the previous caller, but um, he's been shafted. Justin, a bit easier for you. What nationality were the two that got into the squabble? Yeah, you gave that away, Kano. They're, they're Italian boys. Yes. It's just, it's, it's a horrific running of the quiz by me there. It was just shocking. So, KP, I apologise to you. Give us a call next week and I'll find you a prize out of the prize draw. Question number four. Which player did a woman in the crowd flip the bird at yesterday? Uh, Rafa Nadal. It was Rafa Nadal. Um, in, within... A million dollars. How much prize money has Tanasi Kokonakis won? Uh, I actually looked this up last night. I think he's won about one point five million. Oh, you're good. You are good. Tanasi Kokonakis has won one point three two million US. And that was a clinical performance from you, albeit helped by my incompetence. Justin, congratulations. I'll put you back to uh, Benny, who will sort you out with that uh, 18 holes of golf for two. Thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-play course in Melbourne's North. I promise I'll get it better for you next week. Um, coming up shortly, we're also going to catch up with Hamish Hartlett, who is the Port Adelaide vice-captain. What about, I went down to Albany yesterday. Whew, isn't... 
Rosie looking at a million dollars. So I just, yeah, all of you would know I'm a bit of a Connor Rosie fan. I walked up to him, just asked him for a photo, felt like an absolute fool, but got a photo. Uh, put it on social media because nothing uh, humours me more than the Carlton fans losing their mind over the uh, Connor Rosie Sam Walsh comparisons, which it's probably my fault for starting, but I would still take Connor Rosie. They reckon he's flying, he's put on a little bit of size, going to play through the midfield a little bit more, so. Whew, that was good. That excited me a little bit. Uh, just the news of the world. I know Meredith Gibbs will get to it very, very shortly, but um, the Victorian government, unfortunately, is in an emergency meeting right now and plans are underway to considering plunging Victoria into a snap-hard lockdown in a bid to control the growing holiday in coronavirus cluster. Um, once Dan Andrews speaks, I guess you'll hear it, um, first here during Dwayne's World and clearly it's going to affect uh, many people and uh, the sympathy is there. Unbelievable that we'd be in this situation. Hopefully short, sharp, snap. I don't know what was what was South Australia's was three days. Um, Queensland have done it. WA have done it. I think theirs was three days. So three days seems about the right time to get it under control. Perhaps it might be five. But who knows? We'll hear from Daniel Andrews very, very shortly. Still time to take your calls as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. The temper text is 0433-1116. That is for temper, a mattress like no other. Hamish Hartley coming up on the show. Your calls, all the latest news with Meredith Gibbs, including the big story of the day that is the key figures within the Victorian government currently meeting in an emergency to potentially, although it's almost been reported as fact, put Victoria into a snap hard lockdown. On the other side of this, your calls and Port Adelaide Vice Captain Hamish Hartley will join us. Well, it's always good to catch up with my next guest. He's a bit of a character and has forged a very nice AFL career. The vice captain of the Port Adelaide Football Club is Hamish Hartlett, and he joins us. G'day, Wig. I'm going very well. Thanks, mate. And how are you? Well, we're good. It's good to be here. Pre-season number must be 13 or 14. Um, what was it? Draft at the end of 08, so 09 was my first. So what does that make it? My 13th? Sounds about right. Competitions here. Yeah, yeah. We were just having a chat off air, and you were saying that it's not getting any easier to keep up with the young boys. No, nah, it's certainly not. I've, I've definitely noticed a trend over the last few years that the um, the footballers that um, we're drafting are far better all round athletes, um, certainly than than when I first started. So, you know, everyone everyone that you come up against at the moment um, that gets drafted are really explosive, um, powerful, quick. Um, aerobic beast so um, it's certainly not getting any easier but um, we, we're getting through pretty well at this point in time mate so we're good. How many have never been accused of not being or at least looking in seriously good Nick this time of the year how is the body and are you where you should be? Yeah it's been um, a, definitely a different build up this pre-season to, to previous um, years so I had a, a knee operation in the last season which ended up being a little bit more significant um, than we probably f- first thought. So initially I was going to go in for a bit of a clean-up, but um, ended up having what they call a micro-fracture operation where they, they kind of pick into your bone a little bit um, to allow the marrow to sort of bleed out and create a new um, joint surface. So uh, there was a bit more to it. So it meant a bit of a delayed start to the pre-season, but um, look, I'm, I'm pretty much joining in 100% of the, the sessions at the moment and, uh, you know, come... Um, the internal trial tomorrow and beyond that um, I'll be expected to 
you know, to play the allocated game time that I normally would. That was pretty extreme 10 years ago, that operation. I remember Sean Burgoyne had it here and there were some question marks about his future. That was in 2009. He's still playing. I think some other, Jacob Sergi might have had it here at the time. Not as extreme anymore or is it still you know, reasonably serious? Uh, yeah, it's, it's still reasonably serious. I think there's not um, too many guys that have had it previously. I sort of had a similar one um, at the end of last season on a different part of my knee. So this one took a little bit more to recover, a little bit more time, um, and probably it was only up until the last week or two that I've, I've really started to gain a lot of confidence in it. Um, seems to have turned a bit of a corner for whatever reason over the last couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm really happy with the way it's progressing, um, and it shouldn't impede me uh, for the season ahead. We're never going to speak to a footballer who doesn't say they want to win a premiership, but and we've heard from Kenny his intentions this year and all those types of things. We love how honest he's been. Um, for you, this stage of your career, how much is it burning? Yeah, I, it, it's certainly the the sole motivating factor um, for me. I think you know, early on in my career, I was, um, for better or worse, probably more about improving myself as an individual and wanting to perhaps sort of win individual awards and those types of things. But the longer my career has gone for, and definitely over the last you know three or four years, um, you know, the sole purpose has been to upskill the group to galvanise the group as much as possible in order to win a premiership and you know, knowing how close we were last year to, to getting to the, um, the final dance um, certainly motivates us more this year and um, I'm as driven as ever to make sure this, this group gets that ultimate success. Kenny said this week the group's ready and he's wrapped with how the boys have returned and there hasn't been any, um, I guess, sulking or, or footy morning, I guess, if that's the right term, from the group and he views it as motivation. Do you sense, being here for 13, 14 years, that the group is as good a group you've been involved with and that they are ready? Yeah, I've, I've said to several people um, over the last couple of months that I feel like the list of 44 or 45 guys that we've got at the moment is as good as I've uh, been a part of. Um, I just feel like the depth all the way through the football club is um, is unbelievable at the moment. We've got guys that have really come on over the last couple of months that can um, stake a claim in the AFL team um, at the start of the season, and, and that really bodes well for our, our Magpies team in the SANFL and, and for us as a club going forward. I think uh, you know, it's as strong as I've seen it. I think that runs through the club, and you'll be able to speak that, not just the playing group. It's an elite set of coaches that... Yeah. You haven't lost. Um, I was just walking past and seeing the strength and conditioning and, and fitness guru, Ian McEwen, who's been here for six, seven years now, the physios. The whole footy program seems to be really strong. Uh, is that the sense? And you can you shed any light on that for the Port Adelaide fans? Yeah, no doubt. You know, as you mentioned, the, um, the coaching staff and the, you know, the strength and fitness, in, uh, fitness staff that we've got at the moment have been around the place for the last few years. And I think everyone senses that... Um, you know, there is success really close by and I think everyone wants to stay around and be a part of that. I think there, there could e- easily have been some coaches and some you know, strength and conditioning staff that could have been poached to other clubs this year but they've, they've decided to stick around and, and knowing that they've put in a lot of work over a long time now to get to where we are and that um, success isn't, isn't too far away so I think everyone's keen to be a part of that. Just to paint a picture for us, Hammer, how are the pipes? Uh, you were talking about individual awards before. There isn't for buys and tries, but if there was, perhaps you could have a few extra accolades. 
Um, oh, they're, they're going okay. Yeah, <laughs> Look, I, I don't. I actually don't put much time and effort into them. It's just a. It's a bit of a. Natural. It's just a bit of, bit of a genetic gift, I think, that I've gotten from uh, from my old man, maybe. Or well, your brother didn't get it. No, nah, Adam certainly. Um, Adam certainly didn't get the gene, but I don't know if it's sort of the, Bo- the Bulgarian side of my family that has sort of come to the fore. I don't know, but there's not much time and effort put into them, but they so- they seem to swell up pretty easy, which I- I'm not complaining about. <laughs> uh, we spoke to Xavier Dersmer and Lockie Jones, a couple of the youngsters, about Camp Week right here at the magnificent Albert and Oval. You've been to Dubai a couple of times, probably you've been to Noosa and some other exotic locations. I reckon back in the day we, we did a couple of brutal ones to Flinders Ranges and places like that. How did it compare last week right here? Yeah, I think... Um, the main difference we probably noticed was that there was it was far more uh, football specific. Um, you know, there's obviously a fair bit of running involved, but a lot of the running numbers that we churned out were were drill based. Um, you know, we're talking probably 15, 16 kilometres. I think Ollie and one or two others might have done upwards of 19 k's on on the Friday, which is probably the biggest um, session that I've seen numbers wise um, since my time at the footy club. So. Um, and you know, a majority of those numbers that we turned out were in drills, which was um, which was fantastic. So uh, that was the biggest change. Um, it doesn't really matter where you train or um, you know the facility or that sort of thing. The boys just tend to sort of put the uh, the head down and get to business as you would have um, seen in your time week. So that was the case again uh, last week, which is great to see. And it's not just the distance, it's the speeds these guys are running. I mean, I'm not sure if they measure it in kilometres per hour, but how fast are some of these efforts that the boys are going at? Yeah, we've got uh, sort of a peak speed number that um, Stewie Graham, our head of fitness, likes to keep track of, and that's more a a conditioning thing to make sure that um, the boys' bodies have adapted to the speeds that they need to run at in game. So guys, um, I think a couple of our quickest guys maybe. Sort of Mott's, uh, Lockie Jones, Connor Rosie, these guys run, I think it's about nine and a half metres per second when they're really up yeah. and going. So uh, for guys like myself, I'm sort of hovering around the eight. And for guys like Tommy Rockliffe, oh, he sort of turns out he's sort of 6.5s. <laughs> uh, so he's on the lower lower end of the scale. But um, yeah, top speed, um, high speed numbers, um, sprinting uh, distances and, and the uh, odometer are the ones that we keep keep track of. Has no trouble finding the footy though, Tom no, Rockliffe, which is the most important thing. Hey, um, you just spoke about preparing and you expressing your knowledge to the group for everyone to be better. There's a couple of players that I think of, and, and one is Ryan Burton, who's had multiple serious soft tissue injuries and hasn't been able to get himself right. There's another guy called Orazio Fantasia who's joined the group in a similar situation. You yourself have had your troubles early days, and you've come right. Do you share your knowledge or what worked for you with them? Yeah, I, I certainly um, hold my hopes for Birdo in, in a similar vein. I just feel like um, it's going to come for Birdo with continuity of training. Um, I, f- I found that that was a bit, that was the way I sort of overcame all my soft tissue stuff early on was just being able to adapt to the load, and it does take a long period of time. Um, you know, Jackson Mead is probably one that's quite similar. He's a very dynamic and explosive type player. He's had some soft tissue injuries early on in his career and I sort of made mention to him um, a couple of weeks ago that these things do take time. I said it might might not be his last you know, setback and frustration that he has in his career but um, believe that he's got a great team around him and um, at some stage his body will, will come good and that he'll be able to string lots of uh, training and games um, together. So I've got no doubt that um, Bird and Orazio will be the same. You know, Ryan... 
has changed the way he's gone about his training during the off-season um, and so far during the pre-season he's been far more committed to, to taking on bigger training loads um, which has been fantastic I think we'll only hold him in good stead in the long run Hazy and I are taking the mickey about this new rule a little bit where the umpire has to scream at you to stand, stand. <laughs> to grown men on a football field like they are at a school crossing Hammer you've trained it the umpires have been out here you've practised it how does it work? Amy Stan. It's very, it's actually very it's gonna be very difficult to adapt to. There's gonna be a few fifties given away <laughs> yeah. early on in the in the season, I've got no doubt about that. Because naturally, as we've always done in our careers, we, we try and cut the angle to make it as difficult as possible for the guy in possession to hit those little forty five kicks through the corridor. Um, you know, we're not allowed to do that anymore. We've we've literally just gotta stand still like a statue until the ball's in play again, so it, it is going to be very difficult to adapt to. Um, I'm sure the the umpires feel just as stupid as we do um, about the whole direction of um, having to stand the mark, but everyone's got to adapt, and uh, we will as we've we've done so many times over the years. I don't envy you. Right before we let you go, so we won't see you in the internal tomorrow, but we'll probably see you the week after against the Crows. Uh, I reckon I'll I'll suit up tomorrow. So I've done I've done a lot of the match play stuff um, at training. I've just been pulled out of um, little running sessions here and there, which has actually been quite nice. A little bit of a chop out, but yeah. In terms of all the um, the game simulation stuff that we've done over the last couple of weeks, I have been involved in. So whether I play a full game uh, tomorrow or just a half or three quarters, I'm not too sure, but. Um, I'll be out there at some stage and then, uh, yeah, hopefully sort of against the Crows and West Coast after that. Smart move, smart footballer, great bloke. Hammer, good luck for the season. We'll chat to you throughout. Thank you, boys. Cheers. Port Adelaide looking to go a couple of steps better this year and they probably have the list to do it, as you just heard, with Hamish Hartlett there. He was our guest this morning on the captain's run. That's just about it for us. Enjoy all of the sporting action over the weekend. We'll be back to do it all again. Don't go anywhere, though. Dwayne Russell with Dwayne's World has been flying. Massive show for him coming up. And as always, you can get involved in his show on 1300 736 736. And I'll see you at 9 o'clock next Friday. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.